Father, we pray that we would be overcome by your presence this evening. And we thank you for your faithfulness that you promised where two or three are gathered in your name that you would be there present among them. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, please feel free to take your seats. Our reading tonight is broken into two parts. Um, and we're going to go through it in two parts because that makes sense. So the first part is Genesis chapter 46, verse 1 to 7 and 26 and 27. <clears throat> and I'm going to read that for us. And it says, So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am the God, or I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family which went to Egypt were 70 in all. Last week, we looked at the story of Joseph, I believe. Um, hands up who was here last week. Is that accurate information? Yes? It's good to check from time to time. Um, so we have been journeying through the Old Testament, and we've got really far. Um, we have covered creation, how God made the world, we have covered the fall of mankind, how Adam and Eve chose not to listen to the voice of God and be obedient to him, but chose to take things into their own hands. And the introduction of sin and death into the world. We've seen Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's first children, and we see how that cycle came round again and again and again of people just making awful decisions and how the world plunged 
deeper and further into despair and further from the ideal that God had made. We didn't look at, but there were the genealogies um, that followed Cain and Abel. And there are genealogies which are really similar, one coming from Cain and one coming from Seth. And we see how one of them is leading us down this line of, do you remember the offspring of the snake and the the seed of the woman? And that prophecy at the beginning, right at the beginning, that God said, there will come a seed from the woman who will crush the head of the snake, but the snake will strike his heel. And so we see these two genealogies playing out, the seed of the snake from Cain and the seed of the woman through Seth. We see Noah, where things had got so bad that God, he repented of his creation. He, he was sorry that he had made mankind. And he saw that every inclination of the heart of man was always wicked, always evil. And so God starts again with Noah and his family. We see the Tower of Babel, where people huddle together and they think that they can make a name for themselves and they build a tower up to the the heavens and God comes down and confuses their plan and scatters them across the world once he has confused their languages. And then we met Abraham and God made a promise to Abraham and we focus in we had been looking at the big picture the whole world and how that was going and it wasn't good and we focus in all of a sudden to Abraham and Sarah and we start to see the first steps of God's redemption plan for mankind And then we saw Isaac and Jacob. And then we came to Joseph last week. And our reading tonight, we find ourselves in the next part of the story. Where Jacob has found out that Joseph is still alive. And he has been called to come to Egypt. And we see that God speaks to Jacob in a dream. And he says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. One thing I found really interesting when I was preparing for this, and I wonder how many of us have ever noticed this, but earlier on in Genesis, in chapter 26, God speaks to Isaac, who is Jacob's dad, and he says to him, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. That's so strange. God has told Isaac, Don't go to Egypt. 
That's, that's not the place that I have promised that you will have and possess the land where you are now. That's what is yours and your descendants. And I'm sure that Jacob would have known about this. I'm pretty sure that Isaac would have told Jacob. My son, you know, God appeared to me in a dream and he told me, don't go down to Egypt. And so I find it really interesting here that God says to Jacob, he says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you into a great nation there. I wonder how much trust Jacob would have needed to have to be obedient and go as God had said, knowing that God had also said to his father, you don't go down to Egypt. We see, or we saw at the beginning, that there is, there's a theme which comes up again and again and again throughout the entire Bible into the New Testament of testing. And testing really is, is, is an option of choice. What will, we, what will you choose? Will you choose what is good or will you choose what is not good? And Jacob has before him the choice to trust God and go to Egypt or not to trust God and to stay where he is. He might have made a really good decision in trusting God. Part of me wonders how much the famine had played a role in that. Was it really true faith and trust that motivated Jacob to go down to Egypt? Or was there a part in which he said, you know what, my circumstances here are really awful. I've been told my son that I thought was dead is boss in Egypt and they have food. That's not a bad place to go. But we all know, I'm sure, often we, we simplify and we say, oh, you know, trust God in the way that he leads you. And at face value, that's really simple and really easy. In reality, we know just how difficult that can be. This evening, we're, we're approaching all of this and we're focusing on prayer. Um, so what I want us to do is we're going to take a few moments to, to reflect individually, personally, about how can we trust God in our own life situations? What we're going through now, is God calling us to do something? Is he calling us to follow him in a certain way? How, how are we trusting him? And then after those few moments, we're going to come and pray together about how as a community of God's people, how will we be faithful to him and trust him in what he is leading us to and where he is calling us.
Our second reading tonight is from Genesis chapter 49, and it's verse 8 to 12, and unfortunately it's more of listening to me, sorry. And it says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes, his eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. That's a bit of a strange reading, if you just come to it in isolation. Um, but maybe we know where it comes from, maybe we don't. That passage is lifted from the words of Jacob as he is on his deathbed and he blesses his sons in Egypt. And each one comes to him and each one is blessed. And the passages before this deal with the earlier sons and the passages after this deal with the later sons. Now, this seems quite obvious to us that it is about Jesus, or at least maybe I'm taking that for granted. Um, but this part where it talks about the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. That part should be ringing bells in our heads. And we should be thinking, yeah, that sounds like a Jesus thing. That sounds like a Messiah thing. What's strange, though, is that Judah was not the firstborn son. He wasn't the, the one who should have received the promise. And especially when we think back to last week where we looked at Joseph... Joseph, we know, he is a kind of foreshadowing of the Messiah. He saved Israel from famine. He didn't fall to the temptations of sin. He was a righteous man. Joseph is giving us the Messiah vibes, but he is not the ultimate Messiah. But if you were to think about which one of Jacob's sons would best uh, befit such a blessing, such 
uh, a prophecy, surely Joseph, surely Joseph. But it wasn't Joseph, it was Judah. I don't know how many of us are familiar with this idea of the firstborn. Um, in the ancient Near East, and I suppose even today to some degree, we have this institution of the firstborn, and maybe some families the firstborn male, but this was definitely prominent um, in Genesis chapter 46 and Genesis chapter 49. Do we remember who are, uh, Jacob's first, um, pardon? Oh, okay. Do we, do we know, or who do, do we think we know, who was Jacob's oldest son? Who was his actual firstborn? Oh, that's what you were asked. Reuben. Reuben. Why not Reuben? Does anyone know? Why not Reuben? At the back? Yes, absolutely. We, we read in an earlier story that Reuben, he had he'd done something shameful, something he should not have done. He, he slept with one of his father's wives, not his mother, but a kind of like stepmom. And he, he did what was absolutely wrong. What's interesting is we see from in the Old Testament, and especially in Genesis, we see that there is this idea of the firstborn, and it is about who, who gets the position of power and authority, who gets the, the special position, who's lifted up above all of the others. And we see in Genesis often either parents like Abraham and Sarah doing some dodgy business to try and make for themselves a firstborn, or we see the actual children, those who are not the firstborn but want the position, doing some, some dodgy things to try and gain it. And then we also see children who are the firstborn, but who can't wait for it to be given to them, try and snatch it. And that's what Reuben did. He tried to snatch what, what would have been his, but he couldn't wait. God's timing wasn't good for Reuben. So Reuben disqualified himself. Does anyone know the next two sons? Anyone? Simeon and Levi. Levi. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, Simeon and Levi. Does anyone know why they weren't the next in line? I won't keep you waiting too long. Who remembers the story of Dina? It's um, Jacob's only daughter that is referenced in the Old Testament. And she was, she was 
abused. She was raped by a man. And then the man had the audacity to come and ask to marry her. And Simeon and Levi were, they were, I mean, they were mad. So they schemed and killed the entire population of the town that this guy had come from. And Israel wasn't pleased with this. And Jacob said, you know, what have you done? You've made my name a stench to the people of of this place. And so Jacob had to move on from there. So they had forfeited themselves. And we come to Judah. He was the fourth, by the way. And to be honest, Judah wasn't really much better. Do we remember Judah's story, his backstory? Judah had a daughter-in-law who had married Judah's eldest, but he was a wicked man, so God did away with him. And then Judah gave his daughter-in-law to his second son, and he proved to be a wicked man, and so God did away with him. And then Judah was so worried about losing his third son that he withheld him from his daughter-in-law, denying her a family and an inheritance. And so Judah, he wasn't a really great guy. And then there's the whole, well, you know the rest of the story. Judah ends up sleeping with his daughter-in-law and she gets pregnant and and it's twins. And when he finds out about it, because he didn't know that it was her, he says, oh, she should be put to death because she's done a, you know, a wrong thing. He didn't realize his hypocrisy. And then in the Joseph story, who is it that sells Joseph into slavery? It's Judah. He's not a great guy. So how comes he's the one who receives the blessing? Judah goes through some kind of transformation. At the beginning, in the Joseph story, he's, he's no good. He's willing to sell out his brother, the favorite brother, because he doesn't like him and he thinks that he should have a, more of a prominent place in the family. But by the end of the story, Judah is willing to sacrifice his own life to save Benjamin. And it's an interesting transformation. We see that Judah isn't the same man that he was earlier in the story. Something has changed in him. And so we see, even in that offer that Judah makes to become the slave or to die in place of Benjamin, in Joseph's story, we see again that this foreshadowing of, of the Messiah, of Jesus coming. So, that's probably why Judah got the blessing and not the others. But in in all of these stories that we see, uh, we see it in Cain and Abel. Cain is the oldest son, but God doesn't look on him with favor. He looks on favor... He looks with favor on Abel. 
we see um, Noah's sons, that Shem is the middle son, and yet he is elevated to the, um, the top position within the family. Even with Isaac, Abraham's son, he's not the firstborn. Ishmael is technically the firstborn. And yet Isaac is lifted up and exalted into this position of authority. And then we see again with Esau and Jacob. Esau was the firstborn. And Jacob was the second. And we see time and time again that God is in the business of lifting up those who are not esteemed, those who are in the lowly positions. And he, he chooses them to exalt them into a position of authority and power. What we're going to do is we're going to now come and pray again. And this time, we're going to pray about the power imbalance. God is not too thrilled with the way that we as humans go about distributing power. Mainly we don't. We tend to hoard it and keep it for ourselves and we exalt ourselves and squash everyone else underneath us. And so we're going to come and we're going to pray together that God would subvert these power imbalances and these injustices that we see within our nation and our communities and that he would bring justice and that he would flip the tables and that he would exalt those who are in lowly positions to be those who hold positions of authority and power.